Hello, podcast listeners. I hope you're enjoying your day as much as I am currently right now. I mean, just things just seem to be going right a little bit. But at the same time, there's some very interesting things that are happening within the market that no one is currently talking about. For instance, today, we're going to be talking about how the student loan forgiveness could cost $2,500 per taxpayer, a research has finally came out to say. I was kind of holding back about talking about the student loan forgiveness because I didn't see how it was really going to affect the market in any way, shape, or form. But finally, since the research is coming out a little bit, I thought it's about time we kind of talk about this here on this podcast. I mean, that announcement did come on August 24th, and it's just about, it's just, it's just time to talk about it in the end. We then got to also go back a little bit and talk about Joe Biden, how he signed the bill for the CHIPS bill to be able to make chips within the United States, and how that actually is now, there's a, there's a correlation between what NVIDIA just announced as well. So we need to reflect on both of those both of those events that have recently happened, both with Joe Biden signing it and what NVIDIA is currently saying right now about being able to sell chips to China currently right now, okay? Now, the last few things we're going to be talking about in today's podcast has to do with the energy, a topic we have been talking a lot on this podcast in particular. But what's also interesting about this is CNBC is reporting that the Russian energy influence over Europe is nearly over. But there's an article about China from oil and gas and they're saying, or correctionoilprice.com, and they're saying that China is quietly reselling its excessive Russian oil to Europe. Ooh, that's going to be fun to talk about later in today's podcast. But with that being said, like I always say at the beginning of each podcast, I'm not a professional advisor in any way, shape, or form. Everything I talk about in this podcast is for information purposes only and for entertainment for those who wish to listen. You need to go talk to your own financial advisors before making any financial decisions in any way, shape, or form as your financial advisor to actually know your situation a lot better than I would. I legally cannot give you financial advice in any way, shape, or form because like I said, this podcast is for information purposes only and for entertainment. I will have to say that if there are any stocks mentioned today, that I will mention if I have any positions in them, which I don't think I will bring any of them up. But just in case, I will mention that I do have some oil positions in certain companies like Exxon and Chevron. They're small positions and they're long-term positions because I I firmly believe oil is a decent commodity to invest in in the future because oil, to my opinion, will always be around. And with that being said, too, I don't think there's any in the chips sector, but there is none that I can think of currently right now. But other than that, This is not financial advice. This is for information purposes only. With that being said, let's begin today's podcast. Student loan forgiveness could result in a 2,500 burden per taxpayer research fines. Okay. From CNBC, federal student loan borrowers could get up to 10,000 in debt relief or 20,000 if they have Pell Grants under President Joe Biden's new plan. However, critics say taxpayers will ultimately pick up the tab, which estimates peg at hundreds of billions of dollars that could result in the average burden of 2500 per taxpayer, according to calculations from the National Taxpayers Union, a fiscal conservative advocacy group. There's a transfer of wealth from a society at large to people who borrowed to go to college right now, said Andrew Lotz, director of the federal policy of the National Taxpayer Union. That has consequences for consumers, Lotz said. It has consequences for taxpayers. The average burden per U.S. taxpayer will be $2,503.22, according to a new estimates from the National Taxpayer Union. Based on the specifics of Biden's plan, the federal student loan debt forgiveness applies to individuals with less than $125,000 in income 
and couples with less than 250,000 in income. This does not mean taxpayers will immediately face the 2,500 in higher taxes, but the 400 billion plus cost of Biden's student loan forgiveness plan will incur more debt for the government. The estimated cost per taxpayer is based on the assumption that policymakers would need to make up for the total tally of the forgiveness through tax increases, spending cuts, borrowing, or a combination of the strategies. The National Taxpayer Union's calculation is based on the total cost of debt cancellation of more than $400 billion divided by the total number of U.S. taxpayers, $158 million. Notably, the cost would not spread evenly across the income spectrum according to the National Taxpayers Union estimates. Low-income taxpayers earning less than $50,000 would have an average additional cost per tax of $190. That increased to $1,040 for those with adjusted gross income between $50,000 and $75,000, a $1,774 for those between $75,000 and $100,000, and $3,791 for incomes of $100,000 to $200,000. Taxpayers who make between $200,000 and $500,000, or I guess a half a million you can say on that point, would have an average additional cost of $11,940, okay? All I'm gonna say about this right now is this whole tax relief is just Joe Biden trying to get more people to vote for him into office again and for his, I guess, fellow Democrats to get into office because midterm elections are coming up. And we're going to be talking a lot about what's potentially happening because the market is going to be affected in some way, shape, or form with what's happening. What also needs to be mentioned too, and this is a thought I had the other day when I heard the news about this. For those of you who currently have student loans, I mean, I do feel sorry that you have to go through it. I mean, colleges should not cost this much. But questions you should technically be asking yourself currently right now is why is it that college is so expensive? In all honesty, okay, I hear stories all the time when I talk to older people. I know in particular my dad, he always talks about how college was really cheap back in the day. And one of those reasons being is I honestly believe it has to do with the student loans program in general. There's a video from a couple of years ago. Of, I th- that wasn't Nancy Pelosi. I cannot remember her name. Maxine Waters, that's who it was. Maxine Waters was trying to rip on the banks for for being a predatory loans to student loans and all that stuff. And it's funny because in that video, when she was trying to look all tough and be able to show them that she's not backing down on these big banks and greedy corporations, all the banks pretty much said they hadn't gotten into student loans since 2007 and 2008. And it took, it was Jamie Dimon, the CEO of Chase Bank, who literally was like, we haven't been in student loans since the federal government took over student loans in 2008. And immediately as soon as Jamie Dimon says that, you can see Maxine Waters completely shift the conversation and topic because she knew she was wrong. And that's the sad thing. That's the sad truth. Not only that, but a lot of colleges are sitting on a, not pension fund, I think it's like an endowment of billions of dollars, okay? Government, in a way, is kind of affecting the student loan process. They are. When you can just get free money and there's no way of canceling it, except for this by Joe Biden, you got to start answering these questions yourself. Is who's really causing the pain for you? Who's really causing the pain in general? Okay. Look up the video, if you don't believe me, between Maxine Waters and the CEOs of, of the banks. Okay. Literally, 
you need to see that video. It's insane when literally Jamie Dimon's like, we haven't been part of the student loans since the federal government took over. And as soon as that happens, Maxine Waters changes the conversation of what they're talking about. And she couldn't look as tough anymore. So student loan forgiveness in a way. The other thing I want you to think about too, our future children are going to be paying for this because college costs are probably going to go up across the board. And it's going to be disgusting when that happens. Soon, soon it will be. Unless you have money, you're not going to college. That's what's going to end up boiling down to eventually because college is going to get too expensive. And in my opinion too, I think a lot of colleges are eventually going to be shutting down because when people can't go to college because they can't afford it, colleges won't be able to bring people in. And it'll first start off with the professors being laid off and then slowly but surely college campuses will be sold out. Give it time. It might happen. You should keep an eye out for that. On to the next article. Biden size bill boosting U.S. chip manufacturing as he kicks off victory lap. This is from a few weeks back, but it's from CNN. And it says, President Joe Biden on Tuesday signed into law a bill aimed at boosting American chip manufacturing as he kicked off a victory lap to celebrate a string of wins in Washington. The Chips and Science Act will invest more than $200 billion over the next five years in a bid to help the U.S. regain a leading position in semiconductor chip manufacturing. It aimed at countering China's growing economic influence, lowering the cost of goods, making the U.S. relevant on foreign manufacturing and mitigation supply chain disruptions in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. Biden on Tuesday described the law as once-in-a-generation investment in American first. Today, Americans delivering, and I honest to, and I will not say that word, believe that 50, 75, 100 years from now, people who will look back on this week, they'll know that we met this moment. Biden said in an event on the White House South Lawn. The president who recently emerged from the isolation from the rebound case of COVID-19 coughed through his speech. A major focus on the bill is making the U.S. more competitive with China. The U.S. was once a leader in semiconductor manufacturing, but now many American manufacturer import chips made elsewhere as other countries like China ramp up production. The share of the semiconductor manufacturing capacity located in the U.S. has decreased from 37% in 1990 to 12% today, according to the Semiconductor Industry, Industry Association. This event was attended by union leaders, industry executives, and companies such as HP and Intel, congressional leaders on from both sides of the aisle and the state elected officials, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, House, Eastern, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, and Secretary of Commerce Gina uh, Raimondo also spoke at the event. Okay. Then later on, the article says Micron's announcing a $40 billion investment in memory chip manufacturing, critical for computers and electric devices, which will create up to 40,000 new jobs in the construction and manufacturing. Okay. Good for Joe Biden for signing that bill. Okay. Then, of course, there's news that came out about how apparently we're not shipping chips anymore to the China, to China anymore or to Russia. Okay. And it says here from NVIDIA, it says, NVIDIA says U.S. government allows AI chip development in China. NVIDIA on Thursday said that the U.S. government will allow it to continue developing its H100 artificial intelligence chip in China. It's a win for the company after it warned Wednesday that the new export restrictions could hamper its operations in the country. NVIDIA said in its SEC filing Wednesday that the U.S. government is restricting sales on high-performance AI chips for servers and A100 and H100 to China and Russia. Sales of both chips are restricted in those markets, though it can still develop the H100 in China. NVIDIA expects a $400 million hit to revenue in the current quarter from new export restrictions. In the article later on, it mentions about one of the reasons why they're kind of freaking out about this is, well, they're afraid that China and Russia are going to use this 
to be able to cause more military, I guess, with war. I want to know this. Where was this fear in the 90s? We just read that there was about 35% back in uh, 1990, and now it's only 12% in the United States. Okay. I just want to know what can of worms are going to be open soon in the United States. And all honestly, okay. We are in a way the markets. I I'm terrified of the markets across the board currently. I mean, I'm a firm believer that the markets will eventually bounce back, but it's getting somewhat harder to constantly be paying attention to the news at times. And granted, this is a podcast that we are talking about the markets, But I'm also just curious across the board of just when are we going to sit there and just say, what's going to happen next? I mean, literally, we're looking at this right now, and it's literally saying that NVIDIA can keep manufacturing. But one of the biggest reasons why this bill was passed was mostly because they're afraid of China using it for military exercises. Okay. To me, that seems like a It's going to provoke China to now push into Taiwan. We could potentially see another Ukraine type war in the making between China and Taiwan. Okay. China wants chips. That's a given. And I'm not saying to give them the chips that that's, I mean, I mean, it even says here, NVIDIA said the SEC filing Wednesday that the U S government, sorry, just lost it there for a second. Yeah, pretty much is saying that they're afraid that the, that China and Russia are going to use it for war at the end of the day. To me, it's just mind-boggling to think that this could potentially happen. And all honestly, I mean, we're, we're going to restrict a country from getting chips because there's a chance that war could potentially break out. Okay. It says, U.S. government will allow it to continue to develop an H1 artificial intelligence chip in China. It's a win for the company after Warren Wednesday that the new export restrictions could hamper its operations in the country. NVIDIA said in SEC filing Wednesday the U.S. government is restricting sales of high-performance AI chips for servers. The A100 and the H100 to China and Russia. Sales of both chips are still restricted in those markets, though it can still develop the H100. NVIDIA expects a $400 million hit in revenue in the quarter. It's mostly because probably the U.S. government is trying to get ready just in case there is a potential war with China. And all honestly, that's one reason why it seems like they're trying to move the chips bill so quickly within the United States. Because what if Russia, I mean, not Russia, what if China does decide to invade Taiwan? China and Russia are pretty close, and all honestly. And it's just going to be interesting to see where this all goes in the end. I mean, you can only restrict things for so long before a country just says, forget it. We uh, we want to be able to get chips. So, speaking of Russia, though, and China to end today's podcast, says Russia's energy influence over Europe is nearly over as block races to shore up winter gas supplies. From CNBC News, Europe's dependence on Russia gas appears to be coming to an end. Energy and political analysis say potentially alleviating the risk of further supply disruptions at a time when many fear Russia could completely cut off the deliveries during the winter. Europe in recent months has endured a sharp 
a sharp drop in gas exports from Russia, traditionally its largest energy supplier. It has deepened a bitter dispute between Brussels and Moscow and exaggerated the risk of recession and winter gas shortage. Russia has cited facility or delayed equipment as the reason for the reduction in deliveries. European policymakers, however, considered supply cut to be a political maneuver designed to sow uncertainty across 27-nation bloc and boost energy prices amid the Kremlin's onslaught against Ukraine. Agath Agath, sorry, Agath Demaris, Global Forecasting Director of the Economics Intelligence Unit, a research and adversary firm, told CNBC that the Kremlin appeared to be weaponizing energy supplies and burning bridges with Europe whilst it still could. Asked whether Russia energy influence over Europe could be coming to an end, Demarthris replied, yes, actually very much so. Europe is heading towards a very different winter, probably two years of a very difficult adjustment with a lot of economic pain. But when Europe is essentially becoming and becoming more independent from more diverse mix, and he continues on the quote and says, what that means is that Russia energy weapon is going to become moot, she added. Our view is that Russia knows that that's why it's already killing off gas supplies or or inflicting uncertainty because it knows that if it wants to do damage to Europe, it has to do it now. It is now or never question. And then finally, last thing we'll talk about before we get into China and how this is involved with them. It says, Germany until recently bought more than half of its gas from Russia. Yet Europe's largest economy is currently ahead of schedule in a race to fill underground gas storage facilities in order to have enough fuel to keep homes warm during the colder months. Analysis told CNBC that Germany has already able to rapidly fill in gas stocks in recent weeks because of several factors. These include strong supply from Norway, the Netherlands, and other countries, falling demand amid soaring energy prices, businesses switching from gas to other types of fuel, and the government providing more than 15 billion euros or 15.06 billion in credit lines to replenish storage facilities. The latest estimates that the power industry associated, the BDEW, show that Germany consumption from Russia fell 9.5% in August. That's down a whopping 60% during the same period last year. Norway has stepped in to become Germany's biggest supplier of gas. The BDEW data showed providing almost 38% of German consumption last month. The Netherlands, the second biggest supplier of Germany, was estimated to have delivered roughly 24% of Germany's gas in August. Okay. What I want to know is where these other countries are coming from. And honestly, like it's good that Germany is going to be able to survive this a little bit, but they don't mention in this article about where some of the gas is coming from. Okay. And they're claiming that Russia's going to lose and Russia's not going to be able to supply oil to Europe anymore. That's not true. Russian oil's in the market. It is. We've talked about this in the past. Saudi Saudi Aramco, I think it was we talked about in a past podcast, made a killing in profits. Okay. An absolute killing because they were exporting all their oil because Saudi Saudi Arabia was importing Russian oil. They were importing the Russian oil, like we talked about in this podcast, and were using the Russian oil on their own economy. Okay. China's almost doing the exact same thing, but China's also exporting it. Okay. According to oilprice.com, okay, it says China is quietly reselling its excess Russian oil to Europe. It says, one month ago, we were surprised to read how despite a suppressed appetite for energy amid its housing crash and economic downturn for the zero COVID has emerged as a convenient scapegoat for Emperor Xi. China has been soaking up more Russian natural gas so far this year while imports from most other sources declined. Let me read that again. China has been soaking up more Russian and natural gas so far this year while imports 
from most other sources decline. In July, the SCMP reported that according to Chinese custom data, in the first six months of the year, China bought a total of 2.35 million tons of liquefied natural gas valued at 2.16 billion. The import volume increased 28.7% year over year, the value surging by 182%. It meant Russian oil surpassed Indonesia and the United States to become China's fourth largest supplier of LNG so far this year. This, of course, this could not be confused with pipeline gas, where Russia produces Gazprom recently announced that its daily supplies to China via the Power power of Siberia pipeline had reached a new all-time high. Russia is China's second largest pipeline natural gas supplier after Turkmenistan, and earlier revealed that the supply of Russian pipeline gas to China has increased by 63.4% in the first half of 2022. That was behind the bizarre surge in Russian LNG imports analysis expected. After all, while China imported over half the natural gas it consumes with around two-thirds of its form LNG, demand this year has fallen sharply amid economic headwinds and widespread shutdowns. In other words, why the surge in Russia LNG when one, domestic demand is not just not there, and two, the expense of everything, everyone else, okay? Says here, one thing is clear. China wanted to keep its arm's length gas dealing with Russia as unclear as possible, which is why the General Administration of Customs of China stopped publicizing the breakdown in trade volume for pipeline and natural gas since the beginning of the year, with spokesman Li confirming that more than the correction, Li confirming that was the move was to protect the legitimate business rights and interests of the relevant importers and exporters. While we know the answer, China has been quietly reselling Russian LNG to one place that desperately needs it. It's more than anything, Europe. And of course, it's charging a kidney worth of makeup in the process. Or correction, not makeup, markups in the process. As the FT reported recently, Europe's fear of gas shortages heading into winter may have been uh, circumvented thanks to the unexpected white night China. The... The owned publication further noted that the world's largest buyer of liquid liquefied natural gas is reselling some of its own surplus LNG cargo due to weak demand at home. This has provided the spot market with an amplified supply Europe has tapped despite the higher prices. What the FT ignores is that it's not a surplus. After all, if it was Chinese imported of Russia, LNG would collapse. No, the correct word to describe is LNG that China sells to Europe is Russian. Going back to the store of details, our initiative with Russian pipeline gas to Europe effectively shuttered. Okay. It says Europe's imports of LNG have soared 60% year on year in the first six months of 2022, according to some research. Okay. Russian gas and oil is in this is in the economy. Okay. It is. And China is now going to make the killing off of this right now. They are. They're going to keep selling the Russian gas and the Russian oil to. Europe, there's no demand of it in China because they have a zero COVID policy in the making, okay? For those of you who are firmly believing that all these, we're going to put a stance on Russia, it's doing us no good. really isn't. Russian oil and gas is still going into the economy in some way, shape, or form, mostly through China, because when it goes through China, it's no longer Russian gas or oil. It's Chinese oil and gas. And China doesn't have a demand for it right now. They're going to keep shipping it. I want to know what other countries are doing this now. That's a second country. Saudi Arabia was the first. We discovered China's the second. How do we know Turkmenistan isn't doing it? How do we know that other Middle Eastern countries like Iran aren't doing this as well? It's a very bizarre world we live in right now. We want to get rid of Russian oil because we don't like what Russia's doing to Ukraine. But now China's now just exporting the oil. 
It's a weird world we live in. I will say this. If I was an investor, or if I was some type of activist, I guess you can say, but I don't know how much activists listen to these podcasts in general. But what I want to know is this. If I'm a Wall Street firm currently right now, I mean, oil companies from Russia and China are probably making a killing right now from selling Russian oil dirt cheap. Russia selling cheap oil to China and then China just marks it up and makes a ton of money. What I want to know is what investment firms are investing in these companies. In all honestly, that is something that needs to be thought about. I never thought this podcast would turn into questioning a lot of stuff in life. I mean, originally I started this podcast to be able to talk about the markets, but then I started to realize as I kept talking about that politics and the market are intertwined with each other. It's a very dirty game, but it's something to think about. Where's the money going? Where's Wall Street putting their money? I mean, we haven't really spoken about Ukraine much in the United States. It's kind of like in the back of our minds right now. Currently right now, the big thing is the the Mar-a-Lago, I can't say it correctly. Trump pretty much got raided by the FBI. That's the big thing right now. And that's what we're talking about here in the United States. We're not talking about oil and how it's being sold from China to the world. Who wants to do that? No, we want to talk about other things because we've forgotten about Ukraine. I'm sorry, Ukraine, that we've forgotten about you. We're not going to try to... I mean, we keep talking about oil because it's the most fascinating subject to talk about in Wall Street. But it is something to think about, guys. I'm telling you, if if you're an investment firm and you're investing in these oil companies from Russia and China, all those places, you got to question your morals right there. But if I'm an investor, I'd keep an eye out for that. Got to make sure. I mean, just things to think about, guys. Because I can guarantee you a lot of Wall Street companies are going to make a ton of money. And it's mostly because they're going to be investing in Chinese oil companies or Chinese companies that have to do with importing oil and selling Russian oil to the market. Food for thought, guys. With that being said, fellow podcasters, thank you for listening to this podcast. I hope you have enjoyed it. If you had, I ask that you please like and subscribe to this podcast. Every like and subscription we get can help grow this podcast so we can be able to keep talking about events that are happening on Wall Street and around Wall Street in general that they're not talking about, okay? With that being said, too, please also share with friends or family as their friends or family could share with their friends or family and be able to help grow our podcast even more because what we talk about is interesting sometimes. And what we talk about might be of interest to other people as well. We want to find those people who would find this podcast interesting. With that being said, thank you so much for listening to today's podcast today. Thank you and goodbye.